Within the field of tourism studies, one of the most interesting of recent phenomena is the emergence of the particular locations of fictional, televisual and cinematic dramas as sites for major tourist attraction. From guided tours to individual exploration, it has become an established cultural mode of engagement for the consumption of places that derive their significance from media representation. Our visiting professor, Stein Reinders, has led several research projects to explore the economic, subjective and imaginary parameters of this practice, and he joins me today on the Geomedia podcast. Welcome, Stein, to the Geomedia podcast. I want to start with the central concept in your research, which is imagination. What is it about this idea of imagination that you see as so productive? Well, I think imagination is a uh, it's a a faculty of the of, of the mind that is actually universal. Eh? So all people uh, have the uh, the qualities of imagining places where they are not present at that moment in time, or maybe objects that that are not present in the same uh, space. So I think it's a, a universal faculty. Um, but what I find most interesting, especially in a mediatized society like the one we have today. In my view, imagination has become one of the core processes. Because, I mean, we have been listening to stories for for centuries on. on. And um, so people have been imagining, for example, fictional universes for a very long time. But nowadays, we are so much overwhelmed by a very rich media culture consisting of narratives and, of course, images and movies, etc., that we are almost constantly imagining other places and imagining activities going on elsewhere, whether they are fictional or non-fictional. So I think it's very, if you, if you take it from a like a phenomenological uh, perspective, looking at how we experience reality nowadays, then I would say imagination has become one of the key processes. So imagination in that, can, can, in that uh, the way that you frame it then is thinking of other places thinking of absent things i mean is that is that is you know does it go deeper than that in some way because when often when we think of imagination you know it's uh it, it's really thinking about um other possibilities you know there is a sense of imagination as a as a in one sense a kind of political idea that um uh, so often you know criticism of 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 politicians or or, or, yeah. or systems may be that there's a lack of imagination. Um, how does it work in terms of the idea of, of futures in that sense? I mean, is that part of what you're interested in or is it really just different places? How, how does that, and how does that intertwine with people's notion of selfhood? Yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's, it is a rather uh, basic definition of imagination that I'm sharing here. But I think it's also a starting point. So if you think about imagination as the uh, activity of imagining places where one is not present, it starts with that. And that also comes or stems from my uh, phenomenological approach in which I'm really interested in how people experience reality in their daily lives. And I think starting from that definition, you can also extend it. So it is about imagining other places where one is not present. 
but it also means imagining, for example, historical events or imagining future events. So temporal and spatial, you can really extend this. And uh, thinking about concepts like indeed political imagination or, or maybe critical uh, imagination, of course, that is that is part and parcel of the imagination, but it's not something that I would focus on directly. Because I don't think that in, if you look at all the imaginative practices taking place, that there's always a strong political dimension to it. But of course, it is part, and it is, and it's. I'm starting here from a more individual perspective. So, how do we, even sitting here, imagine uh, while doing this interview, imagine other places and try to think about uh, uh, where the other is seated, for example, or other kind of defensive activities that we want to do today. I mean, it starts from there. It starts from a very individual notion but of course in the end we talked about narratives we talked about movies about stories being shared and circulating and that is in the end also a very social uh, activity could you say slightly more then about the distinction or the relation between the individual and the collective because i think again we often privilege imagination as a an individual um idea and we all have a unique sense of imagination in that sense. Um, but but you you yeah, would I, argue. I would also, uh, oh, sorry for interrupting you. But I would also uh, I would also start from that individual perspective. But that is, as mentioned, also my and the kind of paradigm that I'm coming from. I mean, I'm not a psychologist. I am more like a cultural studies scholar. But it's for me trying to understand what imagination is starts with focusing on the individual and of, on his or her practices in everyday life but once you start looking at those imaginative practices then you soon find out that there they are very very social in their in, in in all aspects so for example if you talk about dreams or daydreaming i mean there is no dream almost no dream that does not uh, contain any other individuals so we are constantly uh dreaming, thinking, fantasizing, trying to imagine other places, but those places are not ab uh, vacant or absent. I mean, they are populated with other human beings, whether those are real persons or maybe people that we uh, know from, from the past, or maybe also uh, lovers or people we are actually English or colleagues whatsoever. So our imaginative worlds are very much populated by other human beings. So there is a strong social dimension there, yes. Is is it in that sense connected to some notion of creativity then? Yeah, there is usually a link that is being made between imagination and creativity. But what I find interesting is that imagination is in itself a very everyday practice. So we are constantly imagining uh, other places. And that, that is, you could say, well, that is a creativity per se, but it does not mean that we are constantly sort of creating these huge alternate, alternative uh, worlds, for example, like, like, like fictional authors, uh, fiction authors are, or screen uh, script writers, for example. So you, you, you focus uh, primarily on consumers as such rather than producers in, in this context? Yeah, I, I tend to focus mainly on, on people, indeed, in the context of everyday life. And sometimes they are consuming media products in the sense that they are buying them and, and interpreting, appropriating those, those cultural products. 
But in other instances, we are talking, uh, for example, about people sitting together and sharing stories. That is, in a way, also a, a collective imagination that we then create. I suppose what, what comes to mind for me with some of the ideas I'm interested in, that, you know, I would think of, say, Adorno and the idea, his idea that this, the sort of schematization of uh, within mass media is essentially just a form of commodification or, or reification. I mean, in that sense, imagination or the process of imagination, is it just fundamentally pre-formatted? You know, is this something you say, whether it's television or or, or even the novel form? In that sense, these <clears throat> worlds that are imagined are pre-constructed and people's engagement is a is a commercial one. Tourism is a commercial process in that sense. How does do you, do you how how would you challenge that kind of idea because in that sense then the imagine the imagining <laughs> is not um something that emerges from the individual but is but is provided for them and uh you know that that would be a sort of a, a sort of position within this kind of field yeah, I think that is one of the, the bigger questions within cultural studies that we have been uh, yeah, sort of discussing for, for, for decades maybe already. Yeah? But this tension between, on the one hand, uh, a more structural approach and the idea that, that our cultures are formatted and that we are simply sort of, sort of following, uh, standing in the line almost, like indeed Dorno, but also Orkheimer would argue. But we also have the... The other uh, side actually making arguments for the idea that people are constantly appropriating uh, cultural products and putting their own ideas in it, making unique uh, mixtures or combination of elements from, for example, popular culture. And uh, I find it very difficult to, to, to simply pick one of the sides. But in my own work, I tend to focus mostly on what people do in the context of their own everyday life. And there I see so much appropriation going on, so much unique uh, mixtures that if you ask me to pick a side, I would go for the I would go for the Sean Fisk side instead of the Adorno side. If you, if you stick to the more the 1980s uh, where the, the structure agency discussion was, was very active. But I think it's it's a very good question and it's also still very, very fundamental uh, still in our whole approach of, of culture and also if you think about tourism the fact that you just mentioned you could argue following uh, the work for example john Uri, that we are that we have this tourist gaze so everyone is sort of trained to look at uh, tourist sites in a certain way and interpret them in a certain way and of course that is true to a certain regard but we also see based on uh, empirical work simply interviewing tourists that actually, there's, in most cases, there's not one narrative, there's not one gaze of a certain site, but there are multiple gazes. So it already starts with tourists picking certain gazes, picking certain ideas of looking at the tourist site, and then also mixing that uh, selection process together with personal narratives, personal uh, ideas, and also trying to uh, ingrain that, that, that story about this site into their own everyday life. And that is a process that I find to be very, very interesting and also really making uh, our, our, our ideas about tourism and about culture more diverse and more nuanced 
and simply saying there's only one tourist gaze that and you've been trained to look at this certain way, but also maybe disciplined in behaving in a certain way as a tourist. But I mean, look at a, uh, well, tourist activity, look at a place where a lot of tourists are gathered. You will see that tourists are not that disciplined at all. And they are really diverse and they have diverse ideas about a certain spot. And I find that to be very interesting, this, this diversity in ways how people appropriate the world and how they indeed make use of well, let's say building stones or building bricks delivered by culture, but how they sort of combine and appropriate those building blocks in a rather unique way that really fits their own social, cultural background, but also their, their personal fascinations and their maybe their personal fears and anxieties as well. So in your experience with um, uh, studying people on who perhaps would visit a particular location because of a television series um how 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 does that process work i mean of, of course as you say it's very individual but my 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 sort of my 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 imagining of that process is that once you've perhaps visited the location it, it kind of exhausts that process or or is there a sense in which they come back and continue some kind of uh engagement with with that fictional world do they do they continue in in one sense to build upon that or or, or is it you know there's a it, it reminds me of a certain kind of pilgrimage to go to a particular location and say we want to see where game of thrones was made or the bridge or whatever it may be um and there's no doubt that uh, that this area is a is a significant uh economic um consideration and uh, you know we we see uh, regional um tourist authorities put, you know put enormous resources into this um even to the point of sort of facilitating the very development of, of uh, television and, and things like this um not just afterwards once something has become popular but i just wonder in that sense if you know it, it, with that idea of tourism do you do you get a sense that once they go to those places, that's it? Then it's done, or is there something? Does it is it something wider? Yeah, yeah. And again, I think it depends on the situation, and it depends on the the media tourist or the film tourist in question. And in some cases, it might simply be ch checking the boxes. So I know people who visit London or Paris, and they have like this this list of locations related to movies they simply want to see. They want to see where James Bond. Uh, went down in his parachute, we want to visit the M6 building, for example, those kind of locations. And it is simply checking the box, maybe in some cases. In other cases, their own uh, love for, in this case, James Bond is so long, uh, long present already in their own lives. And they have sort of built this affinity with the character of James Bond. And it's not just the character. Of course, James Bond also stands in for maybe British culture or English culture in general. So, so visiting the James Bond locations also becomes a way of maybe playing around a little bit with your Anglo, Anglophone kind of uh, yeah, interest and hobbies. And, and it becomes a way of learning more about London and, and making your trip not just a tourist activity in which you have to do certain things, but also a trip in which you uh, engage with your own affinities with a larger uh, fictional world namely that of james bond so i'm interested in this idea that you you, you say that um 
I think in the, in the book, locating imagination in popular culture, you say something like the, the mediatization of our world has created a situation in which our imagination is booming. How, how is it that we, we have a sense of, of this, you know, expansion of this process? How, how, what is it that you see at work there? Yeah, that's also something that we touched upon uh, at the start of the interview, eh? talking about how imagination is more something of like a universal uh, uh, phenomenon that has been with us for maybe as, as long as, as human beings have been walking uh, this earth. So it, it has been there always, but it has indeed boomed because of the mediatization of our society, because of the fact that we are several hours a day engaged with... Uh, with representations in the media, with, with our own activities online. And what actually happens at the moment that we are constantly uh, present in mediatized worlds, at one point in time, people also start to be interested in trying to link both worlds together. So, so trying to link their own sensor, uh, sensory experience of everyday life, trying to link that with all those mediatized worlds that they have been engaged in for quite a long time. So visiting a location and eh, being, being engaged in media tourism, visiting a location which you know through, for example, James Bond or maybe Harry Potter or whatever, or Game of Thrones, then suddenly you can sort of relate this, this mediatized, glamorous world from, from the media. You can relate it directly to how you experience the place yourself. And, and you can connect also the story better to, to larger notions of, for example, uh, British identity or maybe in the case of Harry Potter, more Scottish identity. So is it is it the tourism or this media tourism that's booming? Or because I'm just I'm just uh, the idea that people's imagination is booming to me is distinct from the idea that tourism is booming. I mean, in an era of well perhaps slightly in the past but in cheap flights and ease of, of movement and things like this um certainly uh tourism but so what's this thing that you call media tourism then just expand on on that for me just a little bit yeah so so media tourism is uh, about people visiting places related to popular culture and related to the famous novels or or, or, or series or or movies and um, what we see is that media tourism is growing as a niche. It's one of the fastest growing uh, niches within uh, the media, in, within the tourism industry. And what I find fascinating is that our uh, imagination is booming indeed. And uh, we have been uh, talking about mediatization of society, but also the virtualization of society. Nowadays, sometimes also the digitalization of society already since the 1980s and one of the hypotheses has been that because of this mediatization of society we no longer need to visit certain places simply because we can already visit them online we can go in, in uh, second life for example a platform that was really popular uh, in the late 1990s maybe uh, nowadays we would talk about other uh uh, kind of virtual platforms that would allow us to, to visit locations instead of taking all the, the pain and effort and money to visit the location yourself. But what I'm trying to argue here, also in line, for example, with the work of Nick Caldry or media rituals, and that the mediatization of society has actually made the idea of traveling to a certain location more important, more unique, 
because it's something that goes beyond the mediatization. But what we see there is that the locations that are becoming more and more attractive are actually those locations that we already knew through the media. So what we are arguing here is that mediatization does not lead to the end of tourism, but actually leads to an increase of tourism, in particular tourism towards media-related locations. So it's, it's stimulating people's desire to actually, or to visit actual places rather than simply uh, consume more media as such, but to actually step outside of the of the of the, the the media realm and into the actual realm in one way or another yeah and they have different reasons for doing so one of the reasons is simply linking both worlds we discussed that earlier on in the interview so people want to sort of match their sensory experience of reality with uh, this glamorous beautiful narrative world that they have been engaged in uh, through the media and in some cases it's also simply People want to know how the trick is done, so they want to know, okay, so so, so this James Bond movie was shot over here, but how did they succeed in driving a car through those narrow lanes, for example, or how did they succeed in, in, in flying with a parachute uh, down on a ship in the Thames, Thames for example? And uh, so the simply the, 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 the technique behind the production is also one of the larger reasons why people want to visit these locations so they want to know how the media image is created so how is that different from the, the you have this idea of the imaginative heritage or I imaginative heritage what how, how does that is that something distinct from this process or is that just a, a reformulation now so so we talked about uh, places of imagination uh, already like like 10 years ago and at that point in time media tourism was was growing but it was not huge but nowadays if you look at for example London and Paris but also increasingly uh, uh, Amsterdam Barcelona and New York of course we see uh, that certain cities have become um so present in our global popular imagination that it's not simply anymore one scene or one movie or a series we're talking about layers and layers of popular culture at that certain at the point in time we could, we could say that all these layers of, of associations with popular culture have become a form of heritage themselves and also not something disconnected from other types of heritage for example, if you look at uh, Game of Thrones, a lot of uh, episodes and scenes from episodes were shot in Northern Ireland. And uh, there we also see how this was actually celebrated by the, by the government of Northern Ireland, was also uh, hugely uh, funded and, and stimulated because the association with the Game of Thrones world was also a way to simply go beyond the more recent history of the Troubles and celebrate a more, uh, one could say, a more Celtic or medieval type of, of Northern Ireland. So by stimulating uh, the production of Game of Thrones in Northern Ireland, the Nor Northern Irish government was able to uh, adapt the tourist gaze a little bit by not focusing that much on the recent uh, troubled history of, of uh, Northern Ireland, but actually by going a little bit further in time, making this association with uh, uh, with indeed this more, the more Celtic history that the Game of Thrones also refers to. If, if we if we look at the um, 
this this work on Game of Thrones uh, because I think it 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 is a a very interesting um, area to, to look at. So what you're, what you're saying there is that the um, the, the the sort of regional development agency uh, for Northern Ireland then, um, I mean, it has encouraged uh, it as a as a location for filming for 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 a while, but. Uh, you're saying then that it its intention in one sense then was to uh attempt to overcome or 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 replace the, the very very sort of graphic memories of of the place as bombs and 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 terrorism um and so on so you you see that as as a, as a as a sort of intentional process on their part in that sense rather than are again afterwards once the once the series has, has become popular then and just building on that you see you, you see that as as an intentional yeah it's an intentional conscious decision also made uh by local governments in order to uh, try and not pay too much attention to the troubles, also because it is still very recent and it's not actually it's not fully finished yet. There are still tensions around. And uh, if you, for example, look at uh, Belfast, it's also the the intentional uh, policy from the local municipality to have a to to celebrate the city of Belfast as a neutral zone, which is not directly associated with either the, the Protestants or the Catholics, also then not associated with, uh, for example, the murals that you can still visit uh, more outside the city center. But the city center is actively celebrated as a neutral zone, as a future forward-looking uh, zone in which uh, uh, reference to, to the recent troubles are actually as much uh, absent as possible. I suppose my my, my thoughts on that really. Uh, I mean, you, you talk about tourism as offering new social imaginaries. I think, um, and you say that the potential for tourism and popular culture to be recognised as arenas of empowered agency for renegotiating representation and identity after conflict. Uh, to, um, which is from from the article uh, you co-authored there, and I and I and I can certainly see that from the point of view of a, a regional development agency, and uh, which is essentially business led in that sense, um, that that would be uh, a sort of primary concern. But I just wonder if if there isn't a sort of more complex process of also sort of historical repression and and unevenness in social development there. Um, I mean, you know, Game of Thrones is 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 one, and I'm I'm, I'm and of course a very popular and successful uh, series and successful in terms of tourism there. Um, but I, I I mean I'm specifically thinking of, for instance. Um, a while ago, I, I co-edited a collection on location and TV serial drama with Amory Varda, who, who you've worked with, I think. And I analysed the British series The Fall and its setting of contemporary Northern Ireland. And and what what I what I felt there that was evident was a profound anxiety at the, the threats of a certain kind of violence and the 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 the, the location in that sense 
uh, was very much used to uh, provide a sort of visual reference to the the still difficult processes at work in that regard so is it my question then is is really you know is there a sort of certain idealization at work which you might expect from from a tourist board but that the reality on the ground is something a little bit more uneven not everyone benefits from tourism not everyone benefits from the sort of the the transformation of the of the city center into a sort of globalized cultural you know uh center yes uh there's no question that the vast majority of people clearly want to move away from the violence and the, the history and so on but at the same time there is uh, there has to be a recognition that those processes are also grounded in material deprivation a deindustrialization a loss of all sorts of identities in different ways from industry masculinity and and all sorts of things i mean how can you accommodate that in this this kind of model in that sense you know yes the 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 the, the social imaginary of the tourist board is one thing yeah. you know and they'll want to take you know the, the they will want to take the difficult people out of that picture but those difficult people are still there to a certain extent yeah and they have active policies to to also for example uh, avoid too much um well let, let me put it differently so yes we have this formal tourism policy by the belfast municipality eh, to, to most of all uh, showcase Belfast as a modern, future-looking uh, uh, city. Uh, and of course, the troubles are there, but we've overcome that. And we are now uh, really making steps and then turning Belfast into a, into a booming, cultural, active uh, community. That, that's what the municipality wants to celebrate. And there's also a policy of, of trying to avoid other kind of voices. But if you look beyond that, and if you look beyond the city center, we do see the murals still being there and also being part of these uh, so-called troubles tours that are mostly organized by uh, commercial enterprises, but also uh, uh, by, in which locals are engaged, but also uh, uh, semi-commercial uh, activities going on there. But what we see is that kind of the other voices are also present there, but just outside the city center, more going into the different uh, neighborhoods. And they're still also telling the story of the troubles and of the events and also of the tensions that are probably still present there at, at some places. And uh, so this, I mean, that side of the history of Belfast is also still being told, but it's not part of the formal tourism policy that you can see in the city center, the so-called uh, neutral zone. Sure, yeah. So, I'm, so, so I'm, in that sense, you could also see tourism as a platform where, uh, yeah, more more sort of top-down ideas about what Belfast is and should be and should become in the future uh, are sort of in conflict with more local and, 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 and also uh, more commercial initiatives. Yes, I'm thinking as you as you make reference to the sort of trouble tours and the, the, the black cab tours and things that are as far as I'm aware, they're they're often uh, the, the the tour guides as such are in many cases ex paramilitaries and things like this. So there is uh, there's yeah. the, the, to me there's uh, you know 
there's quite a contrast to the um to the more fantasy which of course game of thrones is and that's not a, that's not a negative observation but i mean um it, it does allow for exploring something very very different in that sense um so i suppose i, I just think that there's a certain um yeah uh there's an unevenness to to, to that process the peace walls still you know divide communities throughout the throughout the certainly throughout belfast and the, and the region in that sense and um yeah so yeah so, so i agree with you and there are these clear differences between these more uh troubles focused tours in the, the surrounding neighborhoods uh vis-a-vis -vis the more the formal tourism policy uh focusing on neutral and and, and going beyond troubles in the city center highly promoted uh, by the municipality and the tourism boards. But these, I think that tourism is such an interesting arena, especially because we see those different kinds of tensions playing out on this stage called tourism. And it's, it's never, I, I think you can't also not say that these more troubles-focused tours are uh, a better way of, of discussing the history of, of Belfast because they have their own disadvantages. And what, for example, what we see is that most of these the local tours uh, sharing uh, also very personal knowledge oftentimes about the troubles. It's usually in a uh, done in either a Protestant or Catholic uh, perspective. And, uh, and what we mostly see is that all these guides are male. So it's a very maybe masculine way of talking about the troubles and also the role of, of, of women uh, is, is just clearly not really uh, brought to the attention in those kind of tours. Yes, certainly the sort of gender dynamic in in that process, I think, is a is an important one, uh, definitely. Um, so, could you just say more? Then um, we've 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 both mentioned the, this the, the tour guide in different ways, and this is something that seems to be important to 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 your approach. I think how did you describe them the the tour guides as the ground troops of the travel industry, and I'm interested in this. Um, Partly personally, my son, who's an actor, supported himself for several years in Berlin as a tour guide. So, uh, you know, I have some kind of insight into it. What is it that, what is it about these individuals and the and the role that they play that you see as a so sort of important and, and interesting in this process uh, of tourism? Uh, Emil of uh, Emily Monheimer uh, recently. Uh, uh... Uh, finished her PhD on this topic, and she approaches these uh, also these, these, these tour guides in the context of Belfast and Northern Northern Ireland in general as uh, cultural mediators, in which they try to uh, narrate the history of Belfast and Northern Ireland towards the visitors. So they are actually sort of mediating between uh, different uh, different groups, but also mediating in terms of time. So they are telling. The history of the troubles from the 1980s and the 1990s and relating that to now and trying to also make that show the relevance of that history for today's society uh, so they are and they are indeed also mediating between their own perspective and uh, the formal policy promoted by the local tourism boards so she, she, she sort of builds on this cultural mediation uh, approach of tour guides and i think that's a really uh, productive way of, of, of looking at uh, their role in this this whole phenomenon of tourism in the in the article on on game of thrones 
the 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 emphasis seems to be on how the tour guides essentially um want to sidestep shall we say the 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 troubles in that sense it's really about we don't want to talk about that you know we we want something else and i mean to a certain extent that that makes me think well perhaps that's something about audience game of thrones is a is a fantasy and in that sense you're paying attention to the audience which is not there to engage in socio-cultural analysis but you know again not not in any negative sense i think fantasy is very important kind of uh, idea but i i just wonder if this idea of mediators is is also one that um you know the 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 context of of the nature of the production itself is one where you want to evade many of those sort of troubling questions (laughs) as such yeah, well, it also depends on the kind of tour we are talking about. So if you go on a Game of Thrones tour, you will not hear that much about the troubles. But if you will incite the tour guide to talk a little bit more about it, you will definitely do so. But it, it, it really depends. And uh, Emily Mannheimer also did research on uh, tours especially focused on the troubles, um, also taking you to locations that were really important in that history, t- taking you to the murals, to the peace wall, um, and uh, I mean, in that instance, of course, the whole history of the troubles is really at the at the center of of the of the narrative being told. And at that in that context, maybe associations with Game of Thrones are actually seen as not relevant or uh, or not really interesting at that point in time. Sure. Yeah, I think as you say, it's a uh, there's quite a, a diverse, quite rightly, a diverse sort of range of. Uh, experiences and perspectives and and certainly i think it's it's very important to show the um the presence of even through those troubles of very different sort of points of view than than what were uh, were, were generally sort of privileged uh, and there's kind of binaries in that way to go back to this idea then of um people's engagement and their and and the, the the stimulation of their interest and and how they engage with locations i just wonder is there in terms of the sources for these things the, the the sort of medium is i just wonder is do people engage with places from television different from film or from novels in any way is there is there a sense in, or is it just the sense that it's a sort of media in a plural sense, sort of stimulation for for them to to engage, or is there a different approach in how people engage? Yeah, that's that's quite a big question. I'm not sure if we can answer that one uh, to the full uh, today in this uh, this talk. Um, we did uh, research on uh, actually a sort of a comparative approach, trying to look at at film tourism in relation to uh, um, uh, literary tourism and actually also music tourism. And um, as we soon found out, it's, it's, it's actually quite difficult to compare them. And it's also what we see happening nowadays is that, I mean, for example, we talked about Harry Potter. Now, Harry Potter is literary tourism in essence, but most people will know Harry Potter through uh, movies. So it's, it's already literature, it's movies. There's also, uh, there are like video games based on Harry Potter. You have the theme parks uh, on Harry Potter. So it has become so transtextual, many of the, these, these narrative worlds, that it's quite difficult to make 
sharp uh, conclusions about fundamental differences between, for example, literary tourism and film tourism, simply because in practice they are, in a lot of instances, actually quite related to each other. But what we do see is that uh, uh, in literary tourism, for example, the, the author is really important, in particular his desk. So a lot of literary scholars or literary tourists are really interested uh, not just in finding the places that were used for certain, uh, that were the, uh, the sets for certain uh, novels, but actually also to, to really visit the author home, and uh, in particular the place where we worked and where we wrote those great novels, is simply to try and see yeah, where it all happened, what sort of sparkled the imagination for this author. And by visiting the desk, but maybe if no one watches, touching the desk for a while, for a second, people have the idea that they might even be able to also feel that sparkle of imagination there. So that's the kind of thing that we see happening in literary tourism a lot. It, it's, it doesn't happen that much with film tourism. I mean, if you go to Hollywood, you will have a, uh, a Hollywood tour. And you might also go to the people uh, of the film industry, but it's mainly, it's not that much the directors, it's mainly the actors that people want to see, uh, where, where do certain actors live. So this, this uh, romanticization of the, the author is not that much present in film tourism. And in that instance, the, the, the actors and in particular certain scenes uh, are way more important. So we do see those kind of differences. Yeah, that, that that's certainly interesting. I think the idea of the of the author uh, behind the text, which of course in film and television production is something quite quite different, and writers have a have a different role, uh, I suppose. You mentioned music tourism. I, I, I'm just uh, intrigued as to, I mean, how given um, the 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 nature of of music is by definition something which circulates. How how does music tourism i suppose abba and stockholm where i'm where i'm based would be an example of that um but that would be a, a museum as such with an archive of costumes or various things i mean i've never been but um i mean how how is there in a broader sense how does music tourism function yeah leonica holderman wrote, wrote a great uh, book on music tourism uh, in europe based on different cases and one of the cases indeed was uh, looking at abba and also looking at uh, abba fans visiting uh, the, the, the abba museum and also interviewing them so why is this so important for you to come over here and to visit this location and to see this exhibition and uh, so that was one of her cases and another case uh, focused on the beatles and of course if you, if you think about liverpool you might want to visit the stadium, the football stadium, but another, yeah, one of the biggest uh, tourist magnets there is, of course, the, the Beatles Museum and, uh, and and other locations in Liverpool related. I, th I think the Tavern is quite uh, quite famous still, but there are a lot of locations, of course, associated with the Beatles. So for some cities, uh, music tourism is, is really large. And uh, in other case, for for example, in the States, you will, uh, if you're interested in the blues or the history of the blues, there are so many locations, especially in the in the, in the south of the, state, in the southern states, that you will definitely want to visit. And, and and music also becomes a way trying to find the essence of a certain place, because that is what's happening with the music. Music is like the 
kind of the, the local genius, like the, the, the almost like the local spirit of a place that you can find through music. And that is sort of a, a very special characteristics that we, we do see that sort of appear in, in film and, uh, and literature as well, but not as strongly as with music. So music seems to capture the essence of a certain city or seems to capture the essence of a certain place. And by visiting those locations and at the same time, while, for example, driving through the landscape and listening to the music and also visiting a certain uh, bars or, or clubs where, they, uh, where live performances are being made, then, then people really have the feeling that they are getting closer and closer to the essence of, well, New Orleans or wherever sure. they are at that moment. Yes, yes. I remember now it occurs to me visiting CBGBs in New York when it was still there. So perhaps I've partaken of that process. I think, yeah, there's definitely, uh, I, I think there's something to that. Oh, good. Well, listen, thank you very much for the uh, discussion today. Just lastly, then, I just wonder, do you have any, um, are, are there any contemporary television or film series that you see as particularly exemplifying the processes at the moment? Is there something, what's emerging? What's emerging in this in this field at the moment? Game of Thrones, of course, has finished. House of Dragon, as far as I understand it, was filmed in Cornwall primarily. So that's shifted from, from Ireland. Um, what other productions uh, are, are there? I think that we, uh, for example, we are now preparing an, uh, an edited volume on, uh, on media tourism, focusing in particular on media tourism in non-Western context, mm. related to, for example, uh, Bollywood cinema, but also uh, Nollywood movies from Nigeria, uh, uh, Brazilian telenovelas, for example. So, and I think that is really an interesting step, and it's also really important to take that step, because if you look at... Uh, uh, current research being done on media tourism. It's mostly focusing on media tourism in, uh, in England, America, mm. and maybe mm. a little bit in, in other European countries. But of course, that is not how uh, our global imagination looks like. It looks like at this point in time. I mean, Hollywood is still really important, and Anglo-Saxon popular culture is famous around the world, but Bollywood is also extremely big. And if mm. you look at the audiences, simply the size of the audience of Bollywood movies, it's bigger than the size of Hollywood movies. So we really need to uh, get beyond this Western-centric uh, focus and also in our research on media tourism, explicitly look at empirical examples from outside the West. Well, thank you again very much for today. Uh, and I look forward to continuing to uh, you know, see, see, see the work that's produced through, through this project. Thank you. Yeah.